Interlude. Amy opened her eyes on a Friday morning. For a moment, it was a pure awakening. The body warmed bed. Horizontal bars of light stretched across the far wall and the shut door. The gentle thrum of the central air conditioning as it struggled to beat back the encroaching late spring heat. Like floating in an ocean far above any pressure. Then she saw the ironed black slacks and blue blouse slung over the back of a desk chair, and the scurrying anxiety began. A job interview, the answers it demands, the very need to leave the room, to confront the world. For a moment, Amy thought of calling the law office and telling them she couldn't make it. But then she thought of her mother, who arranged the interview through a friend, who prepared the clothes without being asked and left them to be found. Skipping the interview would mean a revival of the old arguments that, at their peak, threatened to buckle her existence. How close she had come to being exiled. Once this idea felt exotic. Screw the family, its comforts. But three weeks bouncing between old lovers and acquaintances made at hazy parties and bonfires led her back home, to the familiar gravity she insisted was not inevitable. It was ever starting point, John said one night the two of them stargazing on the back porch. One of those rare moments of wisdom from a younger sibling who always looked up to her. That was a pressure of its own. These thoughts rattled inside her like broken teeth in a tin can. She thought about never getting up, about getting high, about some combination of both, until she threw the blankets away, raised her body, and stood. My what? Amy asked. Your biggest strength said the interviewer, a heavy man in a tight-fitting collared shirt. His rumpled blue tie hung down his front like a swollen tongue. Oh. There was a tiny hole in one of her pant legs. The nail of her right index finger found it and gnawed the edges, but stayed close, afraid her skin might be discovered. Take your time. No need to be nervous, the interviewer said. He opened his mouth to reveal coffee-scarred teeth. That's reassuring. Amy thought, but it did relax her and she felt the tightness in her body unwind. I'm a hard worker, she said. When given a task, I see it to completion. I am my mother speaking, Amy thought. My mother is strong. I should be like her. Can you give an example? Well, Amy dwelled on the word as she reached for a memory. Summer camp. Lifeguard duty a small child flailing in brown, placid water. I worked as a lifeguard for a few summers in high school. Some high-tension situations. One time, I rescued a kid who nearly drowned. Oh, wow. Good for you. So what I mean is, I was put in charge of something, keeping those kids safe. And I did. She pressed her finger deeper into the tiny hole. No kids drowned, she continued. That's great. But I mean, if you have like an office example, something relevant to that. Um, I did some office duty back then, like doing all the swim test logging and stuff for future years, record keeping and stuff. Is that the only clerical experience you have? The hole was wider now, Amy's finger pressuring the skin, the material of the pants permanently wounded and exposed. I worked at Skips for a couple months, stacking ice cream cones and stuff, but also like running registers, going to the bank. That's clerical, right? Sure, the interviewer said. 
Amy watched his pencil dance across the paperwork in front of him, assigning whatever sentence was in store in indiscernible scrawl. The interview continued. There was a window in the far end of the room, and though covered by a shade, Amy knew it overlooked the building's parking lot. A truck's backup alarm rang out, its shriek filling the room, and Amy's mind settled on the arc of its sound. Hello? The interviewer asked. Oh, jeez, sorry, I was just... What was your question? The eraser of the pencil in the interviewer's hand tapped against the paper on the desk. Amy watched and waited for his mouth to move again. So he was a fat fucking loser? Amy's car trundled through the center of Monford. Her phone was in her lap, the voice of her friend Rebecca bellowing out of the damaged speaker. Basically, said Amy, well, forget him and to hell with that job. You didn't want it anyway. Yeah. Amy reached over to the seat beside her to grab the pack of cigarettes resting at the center of the cushion. My mom wanted it for me. Hey, maybe they'll take you back at Friendly's. Yeah, probably not, after the shit I said. You're fucking crazy. <laughs> maybe. Pete was being such a huge douche to me at the time. That's because he wanted to fuck you. Yeah, and he was fucking gross. I said it. I said it. I know you did. Amy gripped the wheel with both hands and turned. Her car sped away from the big intersection. Houses whipped by on either side until a stop sign slowed her down. She was close to home. A moving truck sat outside of a house where a childhood friend of Amy's once lived, and two men were lowering a long couch from the truck's rear. Half of the house was painted pale blue, the other bright yellow. Amy wondered which color was the original. We hanging out today? Rebecca asked. On my way now. Cool, cool. Jared was just here. Amy was in a living room, fading, a couch's jaws all around her, she a human being caught in its throat. A television babbled in the corner, some dirty cartoon. Amy's eyes settled on a long tapestry, one of those black-and-white collages of mushrooms and pot leaves and other things bordering on the cliché. A conflicting sense of unease and comfort draped across Amy like an old blanket. She pulled these feelings close to her neck, laid her chin on them, watched the dirty cartoon. Rebecca said something, but not to her. There was someone else in the room, but Amy had forgotten who they were or why they'd come. A clock grew infirm on the wall. Then, all at once, it was time to leave. A burn-faced silence settled in the air between Amy and her mother. They'd screamed at one another for fifteen minutes straight. Amy's brain felt disconnected, as if its wires lay scattered in her skull, and she couldn't remember what triggered the argument. What did you say? her mother asked. Nothing. You called me something. I don't remember. You do. I don't! Amy sat down on the floor and pressed her hands to her face. Her cries crashed against her palms, tears streaming down her wrists. There it was, the everything, collapsing like stacks of books toward the center of a room. For the hundredth time that week, she wondered how she arrived at this moment, toddler-like, clutching her face at the feet of her mother. As a child, life felt so easy, as if escape velocities were built into the soles of her shoes. 
Prodigy was a word spoken by teachers, family friends, her parents, a word she came to believe was true. Once, Amy felt herself because there was a self to feel. But the new problems accumulated like snow through the night. Anxiety more fuzz than static. A plan to move to Boston scuttled because she spent her money rather than save it, sparking a perpetual cycle wherein the idea of her checking account was either haunting or catcalling, depending on the day. The first shackle, the one she still felt acutely. A series of community college stints began, classes falling away like socks behind the bed, more incompletes than failures. Her parents stopped paying tuition. You need to work your way through this, they said. Then the small jobs. Plucking at registers, selling knives, one time slinging magic mushrooms out the back of a McDonald's. Dollars accumulated and spent just as quickly. It became more difficult to get words out, to describe what was happening inside her, even to John, who she knew was dogged by the same predators of the mind. Sometimes they sat in the backyard and watched planes leap east and west, full of people on the move. There was solidarity, almost, in their stoppage. With Ezra, there was drinking and smoking, cackling, levers of fun pushed to their limit. She loved him, but he'd chosen to forgo an escape hatch. For her, it wasn't so easy. Amy didn't find sleep between Friday and Saturday. She was back between the walls, thinking about their rigid boundaries, how their firmness exemplified her failures. There, the depression howled loudest. She kept her kit deep in the closet, beyond where her mother might go hunting for it. A few bags had been lost in the past year to that rummaging. Not that Amy blamed her mother. Sure, she was furious at the time. But in the hours beyond her rage, Amy understood the simple truth. Her mother wanted to protect her. It began with creeping through the quiet house to fetch water. The water was warm and Amy sipped from the glass's lips as she shuffled back to her room. Next, the candle. A purple wax stick about eight inches long. Once lit, she opened the black kit bag and took out one of the good syringes and a large spoon. From her coat, she withdrew a small bulb of white powder, pressed into the corner of a plastic bag, and tied around itself. A gift from Rebecca. From someone Jared knew, someone in Lowell, something they were getting to know as a good source. Amy dipped a syringe into the glass of water and drew a half-pinky length into the barrel. She shook a few pinches of powder onto the spoon, then pressed the water out onto the spoon as well. The water and the powder coalesced, small prin pricks of white dancing in the fluid. Then she held the spoon above the candle, watching the shadows contort on the desk while the metal warmed and the mixture began to bubble, exuding heat. The familiar burning smell stank of distant relief. Slowly, she drew some of the mix into the syringe. She placed the spoon on the table, blew out the candle, and stood. Through the heaviness, the suppression, the world bearing down on her like some calamitous weight, Amy knew something was wrong. This was not like anything before, or any of the befores for which she could muster memory. But she was no longer in control. She was a spectator of her own body, watching how slow her chest rose, 
how distant her feet seemed at the far end of her bed. Her heart shuddered like a troubled child. Once, then again, then again. It's wrong, she thought. The suppression deepened, and her awareness of herself felt more cloistered, as if something had thrown her into a room and then stolen the door. She wanted to cry out, but there weren't words to find. John, Mom, these were just ideas for things. But what had once felt cold grew hotter, slowly, and the thing she wanted to shout felt manic, her aware more than ever that she might not have another chance to say or think them. Behind steel lips, Amy clamored, pounding the mine's bars as the heat grew, and the walls fell away, and there was an idea of sun and God and terror and wonder unseen, unfathomable, an eternal gravity, a soul thought beat repeating, escaping past her skull and the house and John, and oh my God, a thought cry repeating, I want to be alive, I want to be, I want. <laughs>